Well, here we are again, another glorious Wednesday. I don't know about you, I look forward from the time Sunday morning is dismissed till I can get back in here with you on Wednesday night. The atmosphere, come on, the atmosphere of what is the breeding ground of what? Okay, the atmosphere of what is the breeding ground of what? I can't think of a better way to spend 45 minutes or an hour on a Wednesday night than receiving the mighty anointing that flows forth. And I'm so thankful for you. Without you, I would not be here. You know, I'm approaching 50 years of full-time gospel ministry, 40 years on television, twice a day, seven days a week, all around the world. And then along came the internet, and we got on there. And then came along social media, and we got on there using every means available. Pastor Rod has got a word for us tonight, and I really do. Uh, God gave this word to me about a year and two months ago. I have held it since then, and I'm going to bring it to you tonight. I don't know why the Holy Spirit impressed me to bring it to you tonight. It is a message I have never brought forth before. Now think of that. In nearly 50 years of full-time gospel ministry around the world, preaching as many as 10 and 12 times a week, and then, as, as I said, on radio, on television, and the books, and the internet, all that goes along with social media, all of it, and I've never brought to any audience what I'm about to share with you tonight. The introduction says an extremely powerful church leader of a past generation was hosting one of his friends at his organization's denominational headquarters. As they toured the ornate facilities, the host pointed out all the lavish gifts that had been donated so beautifully to the building, including gold and silver and including precious gems. You know, there's redemption in the cross. There's still power. I hear you, Lord. I speak right now to every blood condition. I speak to leukemia. I speak to the AIDS virus. You will hear me and you will obey. I am the servant of the Most High God, washed in his blood, filled with his spirit, anointed from heaven, and I speak to your blood. I speak to your blood sugar now to become normal, that you receive a blood transfusion from Calvary to cleanse your blood right now. In Jesus' name. Whew, that was powerful. I speak to high blood pressure. I speak to coronary arterial disease. I speak to you now. Command you that have infection in your blood for it to leave you, to go sepsis, to leave you now for the glory of God. Hallelujah. I commend those capillaries in your brain that are causing you those severe headaches in the name of Jesus to be normal. And I thank you, Lord, for the power of the blood. There is hope tonight 
just beyond the scope of human limitation. It's in the resurrection of Christ. Listen, unless we hold tightly to truths like the blood, the cross, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you and I are risking becoming false witnesses of a faulty gospel, a gospel drained of all its vigor and vitality. Listen, there's no better to be bound by those things like that than the the relics of religiosity. My prayer for you, all during this Passion Week, this resurrection season, Passover, is that you will experience the redeeming power, redeemed to buy back by paying the sacrificial price, to return to the original state of affairs, the redeeming power of the cross of Jesus Christ, the cleansing power of his spotless, untainted blood, and the life-giving power, hallelujah, of his resurrection. Now, I'm going to bring you a message. Are you ready? Remember now, the apex of all Christian endeavor must become to place the jewel of the soul in the crown of our Savior. The Lamb of God slain may receive the reward of his suffering. So we're going to go back there. We're going to talk about the three Marys of Calvary. Do you know that there were three eyewitnesses of the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth at Calvary who saw the Lord Jesus be crucified? Three different Marys. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 11. Here it is. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 11. Furthermore, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the atonement. We're talking about Calvary. Let's ascend that craggy slope of Golgotha. Now you'll recall, I'm sure, that there were seven illuminating statements that the Lord Jesus uttered when he was bolted by those four you need to get my book on the cross. I'm, I'm getting a little weary with songs being written about three rusty nails and the like. First of all, they weren't rusty. Secondly, there were not three. Type in right now if you know how many there were. Come on, come on, talk to me. There better be folks from World Harvest typing in right now how many, how many spikes there were, how many nails there were. There were four, not three. His feet were not crossed over like this. His feet were placed on either side of the vertical beam 
and there the nails, iron spikes at least four inches long, were driven through the sides of his heels. It was there, suspended between heaven and earth, that the Lord Jesus purchased our eternal salvation there, that everything that pertains to life and godliness in this world were provided freely by the sacrificial price that only he could pay. Tonight, I want us to explore together the supreme sacrifice. I want us to hear from those who were personally present eyewitnesses to that raging battle of the ages where Jesus convinced a dying, desperate, diseased, destitute world that he was indeed the Son of God. Listen, without the resurrection, we might just well put Jesus right in the category with Muhammad and Hare Krishna and Buddha and all the rest, a sorry spectacle over which the angels of heaven would hang their heads and weep. God's kingdom is replete with a number three. Let me give you some examples. Our God himself is, after all, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The tabernacle in the wilderness and then later the temple in Jerusalem had three main divisions or compartments, three of them. You know them. If you know them, type them in right now. The outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. There were three archangels. I asked one of our new Valor students if they knew who the archangels were. Well, they got, they got two out of the three. That's, that's pretty good for getting started. There were three archangels, Michael, the warring angel, Gabriel, the messenger angel. And then we had Lucifer, the angel of worship. I like to call him the choir boy now that he's fallen from heaven like lightning. Hallelujah. I bind every demon spirit attempting to operate in your life. I loose you from those bondages right now. I don't know if anybody's with me tonight, but the Holy Ghost is all over me. There were three heavens, as the Apostle Paul enlightened us. I, I knew a man, said Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 2. I knew a man in Christ over 14 years ago, whether in the body or the spirit, I know not, God knows. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Every day we observe all around us three fundamental aspects of time, if you will, past, present, future. You and I ourselves, we're trying beings, created imagio Dei, in the image and likeness of God. And so we, like our creator, he was three parts, is three parts, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we are a reflection of him made in his image. So we have three parts, a spirit, a soul, and a body. You are a spirit, you live in a body, and you possess a soul. Now that's the reason that I was so fascinated upon the discovery that there were particularly, unambiguously, 
three women, all eyewitnesses to Jesus' crucifixion. And beyond that, all three of them were named Mary. John 19.25 introduces you and me to them. But standing by the cross were his mother, Mary, his mother's sister, Mary Salome, the wife of Cleopas. And the third, you probably guessed her, Mary Magdalene, from whom the Lord Jesus cast out no less than seven devils. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the wife of Cleopas, the sister of the mother of our Christ. And third, Mary Magdalene. She was called Magdalene because she was from Magdala. Now, there's some unwarranted controversy. Let me get this out of the way. Regarding the relationship between the first and the second Mary. Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Specifically, John 19.25 clears it all up. I don't know why there's any confusion. It plainly, directly says that Mary, the wife of Cleopas, is the sister of Mary, our Lord's mother. So the main objection to that is that it would be unusual for sisters in the same household to have the same name. But John leaves no doubt about their relationship. And a further focusing on the Greek language gives us the answer. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary, the wife of Cleopas, are indeed sisters. Because the name Mary in Greek has two forms. One is Maria, and one is Miriam. Both are always translated in your New Testament as one. Both of them are translated Mary. But Mary, Jesus' mother, is always referred to in Greek as Miriam. Whereas Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene are always referred to as Maria. As I considered in my prayer time, the significance of the Bible recording that all three of these Marys, each distinct, yet bringing together a focus at Calvary, bound together in that moment, these three for eternity. So I discovered that each one of them epitomized one of the three elements of God's divine character. Paul described it to us. He said these three would abide forever. Faith, hope, and love. So these three Marys will reveal to us one of the three divine characteristics. The first I'll call Mary of faith. Miriam, the mother of the Lord Jesus. This teaching is going to release the spirit of faith 
into infusing you with the spirit of faith for resurrection morning. And I believe between now and resurrection morning, God will move heaven on your behalf if you just believe. I'm going to help you with that right now. So these three Marys, Mary number one, Miriam, the mother of Jesus, she watched the newborn Christ draw his first breath as a member of the human family. She was there, wasn't she, in that meager manger in Bethlehem. But now, at Golgotha, she will know and experience the horrific pain that no mother should ever be required to bear. To watch as her son that in her arms drew his first breath, exhales his labored last breath on that hill called Calvary. She could smell the stench of the garbage dump. That's where Calvary was. Just outside the city walls of Jerusalem on the periphery of the vast Roman Empire, there she was. Now Joseph, Miriam's husband, is nowhere mentioned in the gospel after Jesus' childhood. Did you ever notice that? Joseph's never mentioned again. Maybe he died prior to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. At Jesus was age 30. That would mean that Emmanuel, the Lord Jesus, had to assume the responsibility to provide for his mother. Thus, one of those staggering statements from his cross was to assign the care of his mother to his friend John. He said, woman. Uh, that's, that's a word that's seen its fair share of controversy in the last few months, weeks. Woman. 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 Jesus said, a word of dignity, a word of no disrespect in the first century. Woman, behold your son. It is my firm, it is my reason, belief that Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus, is one of the most remarkable examples of what your Bible and our Savior identified as, hear me now, not just faith, great faith. And we can learn from her tonight, and we will, great faith. Healing comes by faith. Salvation comes by faith. And faith was the hallmark of the life of Mary. From the time she's introduced to us in Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, verse 16, says this, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. All the way to the last mention of Mary, assembled with the disciples after Jesus' ascension in Acts 1.14. These all continued. Are you continuing? 
I pray a continuing spirit upon you. They continued in one accord. I rebuke all disharmony going on in your family, in your relationships right now. God is not the author of confusion. He brings chaos into harmony. They all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. I like to call her Mary of faith. When she was receiving word that she would give birth to a son, Luke chapter 1, of course, it's one of the most familiar stories in the entirety of the New Testament. But let's pause just briefly here and consider just how life-changing, how history-making this auspicious occasion would prove to be. Mary was engaged at a time and in a culture where the custom was for girls to be married at a very, very young age. Most scholars say that Mary was likely only 13 or 14 years of age when she heard God's shocking, startling plan for the rest of her life. It was prophetic, it was problematic, and you betcha, it was puzzling. Becoming pregnant before marriage in that culture would create insurmountable trouble. Yeah, it, it was certainly true. The angel was pretty impressive, pretty impressive to be spoken to by an angel from heaven. He had credentials from another world, but he wasn't the one who would have to deal with the ridicule. Oh, Jesus, I'm talking to somebody. He wouldn't have, that angel wouldn't have to deal with the mockery with the anger, with the vitriol that would be directed with maximum intensity toward Mary, toward her family, and Joseph and his family as well. I feel like you're being bombarded. I feel like I'm talking to some people who are saying, why me? Why now? You, you've got the Charlie Brown syndrome. Why is everybody always picking on me? Maybe it's because you have the mark of God on you. Maybe it's because their spirit runs crossways of your spirit. It was threatening, this announcement from the angel. It was terrifying. The penalty for adultery was not, you know, count a few rosary beads. The penalty. What if it was that way today? Well, I have to tell you, it is. The penalty's never changed. The penalty of all sin is death. Period. The penalty then for physical adultery, death by stoning. Yet none of that dissuaded a teenager, Mary, from accepting her role. Can you do that? Can you accept your role, your anointing, your calling? If it means people don't like you, if it means they lie about you, if it means you can't be one of them, 
Mary was 14 years old. I'd like to tell a whole lot of millennials, grow up. Mary's role as the mother of the world's promised Messiah when she was only 14 years old. She didn't ask a lot of questions. She only asked one, and it was completely reasonable to me. It's recorded over in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 34. Let me give it to you out of the Passion Translation. Mary said, but how could this happen? Uh, that's pretty normal, don't you think? Especially when she followed it up. And remember, she's talking to an angel from heaven. Uh, there's no way for her to pull the wool over his eyes. How could this happen? I am still a virgin. 8,500 teenagers a day between 14 and 18 are surrendering their virginity in the United States of America alone. The next scene in the Bible narrative is of utmost consequence as we're discussing, let me bring you up to date now, we're discussing Miriam, the mother of Jesus, as an example of great faith. How many seasoned saints, church board members, elders, deacons, and the like could have handled that word from God to Mary? And what it meant. Well, Luke chapter 1, verses 35 through 37. Now stay with me. Mary's response, one of the greatest. I'm telling you, I want to preach every line of this. And I'm supposed to be teaching it. Mary's response was immediate. <laughs> it was emphatic. I am the servant of the Lord. Are you? Can you say that? Or do you expect for your relationship with God to be that he serves you? See, we've, we've turned it around, haven't we? I've watched it in one generation from people desiring nothing more than to be a servant, a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, than to dwell in the tents of unrighteousness. Now it's, I want to know what God's going to do to serve me. You see, demanding your rights, forsaking your responsibility. I'm going to startle you. I'm going to startle you now. You want a miracle this week? Remember this. Servanthood is entry level, elementary school, nursery school, Christianity. And until you learn it, you'll know nothing else. Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Paul said, I count all things but dung that I might serve him. And then she said these words that echo out of eternity in my heart every day of my life. Be it unto me, Lord, according to your word. He said, you're healed. Be it unto me according to your word. He said, it's his will that you prosper and be in health. Be it unto me, according to your word. He said he would take out that cold, stony heart and he'd give you a heart of flesh to serve him. 
be it unto me according to your word. That is black ink on white pages, irrefutable evidence, irrefutable evidence. He was the son of God. Positive proof he gave us that even the youngest, maybe you're 14, maybe you're 18, maybe you're 35 and act like you're 12. Even the youngest, even the most inexperienced among us, like Miriam, the mother of Jesus, we can all experience, we can all excel and live by great faith. Faith is the greatest power available on earth. And it is the most underused power. That's a quote from my pastor, Dr. Lester Sumrall. The Blessed Virgin, what extraordinary faith. It continued, didn't it? It was boldly demonstrated when she and Joseph took the baby Jesus, he was only 40 days old, into the temple to dedicate him to our father. And a man named Simeon prophesied. How'd you like to get this prophecy? This one's not about a new Cadillac. This one's not about how blessed you're going to be and you're going to write a song and make a million dollars. That's not what this is. That's modern day prophets, so-called. Simeon prophesied to Mary that as a result of this baby's divine conception and Mary's response of yes, as a result of Mary's yes to God, her prophecy was, your heart will be pierced through. You're not shouting now. Oh, I want to live by faith. I want to be mighty in faith. Do you? People say to me, I'll be praying for people now. Take a hold of my hand and they'll say, pray for me. I, I want your anointing. Do you? Shall I pray for you? That your sister, pregnant with your first niece or nephew, has an automobile accident, drives her femur bone through her pelvic girdle, and lodges it there, ends up on 35 prescribed medications a day, given three months to live, and sent home to die? You still want this anointing? Shall I pray for you? Shall I pray for you that eight members of your immediate family pass out of this world in 18 months' time? And you grow up in a funeral home and the preacher keeps saying it was the blessing of God that took this loved one from us. Shall I pray that for you? Maybe I should pray for you that they hand you your only son and say you should put him in an institution and forget he was ever born. Shall, you still want it? Shall I pray for you? that after you've written New York Times best-selling books like Silent No More, you spend two years in silence 
fighting and warring against vocal cord cancer. The anointing comes from the pressure on the olives, pressing out the oil. Be careful what you say and grab yourself by your bootstraps. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. When hell had done its worst to the best that heaven had to offer, God raised him from the dead. He'll do the same for you tonight. Somebody get on there and shout hallelujah. Mary was not about ready to allow anything to deter her from God's word to her and his master plan over her life. What have you sacrificed what God wants you to be for what you want to be for the next 30 years? 30 years pass, and the biblical record is completely silent except for one incident when Jesus was 12 years old. Mom and dad left him <laughs> during one of their family's pilgrimages up to Jerusalem. They eventually found him in the temple displaying a knowledge of God's law far beyond his years. And Miriam, his mother, didn't seem to understand Jesus' response about the whole matter. He simply said, don't you understand that I have to be about my father's business? But now contrast that to the first miracle of Jesus' public ministry, John chapter 2. When the host of the wedding ran out of wine, it was Mary who in typical motherly form made a point to tell the Lord Jesus about the problem. He responded to her that the time for him to begin his ministry, his miracles, had not come yet. But Mary, here it is again, emboldened by great faith, knew that her son could do something about that embarrassed host's extremity. So she instructed the servants, and as a result, water became wine. Mary's faith, think about this, her faith changed the very timetable of God Almighty himself and moved, watch, the future into the present. Did you hear? That was Jesus. He said, it's not time for my miracles. Mary didn't, Mary didn't accept that. Her faith reached out into the future when it was time for his miracles and brought it into her situation right now, and your faith can do that too, and it can do it right now during Passion Week, during Holy Week, during the week leading up to the greatest event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let your faith be strong now. Fast forward with me. It's the darkest daunting day in human infamy, when the Son of God, Mary's Son, was bolted by those angry spikes sunk deep through tortured flesh into splintered wood, impaling him onto that angry, mean, biting beam on Golgotha's craggy ridge. Hundreds, thousands passed by. The Romans always strategically positioned crucifixions, their brutal, unimaginable suffering, 
near a highway going through a city gate for maximum advertising and public exposure. Crucifixion was all about its effect, not on the ones being crucified, but on those who witnessed its barbarism. Its purpose was shock and awe to control the masses through fear. Oh, I wish I had time to preach right there about what's going on in America. Attempts to control the masses through fear. That's never God. Those who beheld the gruesome, gory scene at Calvary, they weren't moved with compassion. They were mocking the victims hanging there in that awful sag of death. Even the chief priests, the religious leaders, taunted, especially the helpless man hanging alone and forsaken on that center stake. A small group of witnesses stood nearby watching the emotionally draining, dream-crushing, mind-bending spectacle and standing there among them, shivering, listening, weeping, watching, was Miriam, Mary of faith, the mother of our suffering Savior, our ridiculed Redeemer. Simeon's prophecy about her heart being pierced through was coming to full fruition now. As she witnessed firsthand his broken, beaten body struggling just to gain a breath, but she would not. She simply could not run away when those waves of sheer panic crashed against her heart. She's watching her son be crucified. I rebuke your panic attacks. I rebuke them now. Jesus died to take them from you. She would never, she could never leave him without the comfort of her prayers. You know, I'm praying for you. Without the consolation of her presence, I'm believing the Holy Spirit draw very near to you right now. Mary was close enough to her son that she could hear his words of protection. <laughs> oh, what words of protection. She could hear his wheezing and his breathing. She could hear the words of provision directed for her. I don't doubt that her heart was shattered for him long before his heart was broken for your sins and for mine. At some point, later on, she drifted back further away from the front lines of the raging war being waged on that hate-fueled, hostile hillside. After his crucifixion, Mary... Yeah, I think about it often. She taught the king of glory how to dress himself. <laughs> she, she taught little Jesus 
how to strap on his sandals. She fed him from her own body. She comforted him from childhood all the way to that cross. But she's not mentioned in the activities surrounding his burial at all. She, she's strangely missing from the narrative. But to me, that's not really a surprise. I, I suppose it would have been unspeakably unkind to ask her to attend her own son's burial after witnessing, after enduring his torturous crucifixion and his merciless murder. Yeah. There were others, somebody else who was present that could inform her later of the whereabouts of his precious and now lifeless body. His mother was, though, among the believers who assembled themselves together after the resurrection and the ascension. I, I can't help but imagine that Mary was there in that scene spoken of over in John's Gospel, chapter 20. It was the evening after the resurrection, and the third Mary, Mary Magdalene, came and told his disciples that she had seen the Lord, that he was alive, and he had, in fact, conversed with her face to face. I love it. John chapter 20 tells the story. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples had assembled because they were fearful of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be to you. Verse 20. And when he had so said... <laughs> He showed them his hands and his side. Here it is. Get this. Don't miss it. Type it in so you can tweet it out and send it to everybody you know. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Remember, Miriam was there. His mother was there. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Listen, my dear friend, this is without exception the greatest understatement in the entirety of the 1,166 pages of your Bible. If there was any place the gospel writers were, would have exaggerated, it would have been right then. Then were the disciples glad. Listen, in all of human history, there could never have been a scene of more jubilation, a scene of more victory. He had left them. He had gone to hell, conquered death, and now come back from the dead to them alive. I would have loved most of all to have seen the glorious countenance of God emanating from the face of his grief-stricken, faithful, faithful mother. What a sight that must have been when her eyes beheld him. And even though the Bible doesn't, you know, necessarily specifically list her among those in the house on the day of Pentecost, it's only fitting, isn't it? that she was one of the 120 who received the promise of our Father, the blessed Holy Spirit, poured out in overflowing measure. 
on that historic day. Mary, his mother, she had the satisfaction of seeing others in her own family come to faith in her son as Savior. What an astonishing, astonishing woman. What a woman of resiliency. What an astounding, awe-inspiring example of majestic and uncommon, great, great faith. Can you hear me right now? Right now, you, right there where you are, you too can possess that same faith. Right now, I release it to you. Faith comes three ways. It comes when you're born again. It comes by impartation, meaning someone that has it can release it to you. You can receive it. Hallelujah. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by his word. I've simply told you a little bit about Miriam, the mother of Jesus at the cross of Calvary. It's built your faith. I know it has. I can sense it. I can feel it. Guadalupe, stroke that led to blindness. Father, heal the blind in the name of your glorious son, Jesus Christ, on this Passion Week. Erica, I command the swelling in your leg to dissipate and to go to normal. Terry, there in the hospital, I release my faith towards you for your total and complete recovery. Mark, I speak for your back to be healed. Now agree with me. You speak it. You exercise your faith. Faith is always an act. Faith is an action. Be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever he says to you, do it. You see, God's blessings... My daughter Ashton Blair loves this quote, so I'll share it with you now. The blessings of God are always conditional. God does this when you do that. God releases what's in his hand when you release what's in yours. There was a little old boy I wish I had one around here, but I don't. His mother had a beautiful, we, in Kentucky, we call them vases. I know you more educated folk call them vases. But it was a vase. And he was just big enough, he'd stuck his hand down in a very, very costly vase. And it was very expensive. It was a family heirloom. And Try as he may and try as he might, he couldn't get his hand out of there. His mother tried everything. She put soap around it, you know. She did everything she could. Finally, they, they called the fire department, knew somebody on the fire department. They came. They tried to help. They couldn't get it out. His hands now swelling. His mother said, well, I, I, I guess we don't have any choice but to just break it, break that vase. And the little boy looked up at his mom and said, Mama, would it help if I let go of the penny? She said, yeah, it would. He let go, and his hand slipped right out. 
What are you holding on to? It's strangling the life of God from you. What do you refuse to let go of? Who do you refuse to forgive? Who do you refuse to walk in love toward? Faith, your Bible says, works by love. Hatred and bitterness never receive miracles. A seed leaves your hand, but it never ever leaves your life. It goes into your future. In fact, the only effect you can have on your future is with a seed. A seed affects your future. A seed affected God's future. Jesus Christ was God's harvest in seed form. You have a harvest right now in seed form. God is no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he'll do for anybody else. It's all a matter of trust. Faith. Believing that God is who he said he was, will do what he said he would do. Living circumspectly before him in righteousness and true holiness. And then God says, ask and you will receive. He says, knock, and it will be opened unto you. He says, seek, and you will find. He says, sow, and you will reap. He says, give, and you will receive. You are never, ever, my friend, responsible to perform a miracle. That's God's part. But you are responsible to begin a miracle with a seed. God never asks for what you don't have, but he will ask for what you want to keep. Because he's either Lord over all or he's not Lord at all. That's the reason he said he can tell where our hearts are by checking our checkbook registry. Because your heart, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Hallelujah. Right now, we are in the most exceptional year of the past seven years. We are in a Shemitah year. It is not only a Shemitah year, it is a year of double Adar. Double Adar. What does that mean? Let me boil it down as succinctly as I can for you. Let me get it distilled so you can get it. It means it only comes one time every seven years on God's calendar. It is a year that God says, not Rod, God says a year of optimum fertility for the sowing of seed. Optimum fertility. Three times in a year, God says this. I want you to come before me, Deuteronomy 16, 16. I want you to come before me, not with your tithe. I want you to come before me and worship me with an offering, something above your tithe, in your hand. 37 years ago, God the Holy Spirit gave me a word when a word from God is given, reason is never required. 
Obedience, faith, and faith alone must answer that door. God's miracle is manifested by what he does when you obey. My son is not in an institution. He knows that I'm his father. He knows that Joni is his mother. He graduated from high school with better than a four-point average. He graduated from college with better than a four-point average. He's had the same lovely female friend for three years now. What a miracle. But it didn't just happen. When our son was diagnosed with the diagnosis I shared with you, an autism spectrum disorder, when we were given that news, Joni and I did what the Bible teaches. We mixed our praying and our giving, our sowing, and we said, be it unto us according to your word. God's miracle is always attached to an act of obedience. 17 years, 37 years ago, God, the Holy Spirit said to me, this one time, these are the three times, I didn't know this then, in a year, and I'd been preaching a long time, I didn't know that three times a year, God said, I want you to come before me with an offering in your hand. A commanded offering. A command is something that's not optional, it's not flexible. God said to me, at Easter, Passover, at Pentecost, 50 days later, in the spring, and then in the fall of the year, at the Feast of Tabernacles, you must bring an offering and worship me with it. And the blessings that follow, just at this one, just at Easter, just at Passover, God said, if you'll obey my word, these seven things will happen. I will release an angel on assignment into your situation. It's in the book of Joel. Secondly, I will give you, an, excuse me, I will become an adversary. I, God, will become the enemy of your enemy. <laughs> the God that's been fighting with you will start fighting for you. Third, God will provide you with assets, the things that are necessary. Fourth, he will remove affliction. He'll bring healing. Five, you will become ageless. In other words, your barrenness will give birth in whatever area of life you're believing for. Number six, he'll give you abundance. Abundance are blessings beyond necessities. Number seven, God will give you an alpha year. All of it, all of it, a year better than you've had for seven. Hallelujah. All of it centered on Passover. I want you to sow your Easter resurrection seed. 37 years ago, God said, you celebrated Easter when I gave my best. I want you to have the people give their best in celebration that I, God, gave my best. What better year to do that than in the year 
of optimum fertility for the sowing of seed. I don't know what your best is tonight. Perhaps it's a resurrection seed of $1,000. I have an unbelievable ministry gift to give you if God speaks to you about that. Maybe it's $500, maybe it's $100, but it's something that will stretch your faith. A word from God will always require a step of faith. Mary had to say, be it unto me, and she gave birth to a miracle. Why don't you say that right now? Lord, I'm going to make myself available where my heart is, that's where my money's going to go. I am believing you, and I am focused on you this week. I want to celebrate the gift of Jesus Christ on Calvary, and I want to celebrate it with a seed. Hallelujah. Maybe your seed's $50. If your seed is $50 tonight, I want to send you some beautiful, beautiful gifts. I'm going to send you the power of, of double. One of, the, one of the greatest revelations the Lord ever gave me. The power of double in 2022. Two times three. A two, a two, and a two. Three twos. Hallelujah. You want to get it. And then I'll also send you time to live again. That's what resurrection's all about, isn't it? One message is called, We Are Revenant. The second message is called, Your Father Has a Plan. And the third message is, Revolutionary Faith. Do you know what a revolution is? It's to overthrow one form of government for another. Let's overthrow lack with God's abundance. We can do that. A revolution is a change designed to affect a change in the socioeconomic situation of a certain segment of the population. Oh, I wish I had time to teach that to you. Amen? But I don't because my time is up. I've actually gone 10 minutes over. Don, we're praying for your heart, Frank. A large kidney stone. I know the pain in that. I rebuke that. Command that thing to dissolve in the name of Jesus. Well, it's time to sow your resurrection seed and believe God for your greatest miracle. I'm believing with you. I love you. Thanks for hanging with me tonight. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.